<laughs> Sorry. We just had it. Ac- <laughs> totally editing this out of the podcast. We just had a Starbucks accident. <laughs> This is the this is the part to watching it live on YouTube. You get to see the stuff that gets edited out. <laughs> Our tech guy just spilled Starbucks everywhere. everywhere. Thanks, tech guy. Hi guys, we are back. This is Mad World Thursday, and I'm really excited about this. This episode kicked my booty. I will admit that. I have had to delay this episode we I wanted to have this done Thursday night but we um had to delay this episode because I just needed more time with the book I took out a whopper of a task for us but it was fun at least I had fun now Aaron Nick um in two weeks Aaron's gonna have to do her book we'll see how that goes Hmm. we'll see (laughs) now the hardest part about this book these books and there's a third book there is a third book yeah is um, that they're written in chronological order, which you would think would make things easier, but it doesn't. Because he's he's writing year by year, and we're looking for events or subjects, not necessarily years. So you're tracking through all these years, and it seems like there's not a whole lot going on, but then cumulatively there is, but then the books are so full of information. It's just really hard to keep up. With what, this guy's IQ is way higher than mine. <laughs> Definitely. Way higher than mine. So we talked a little bit last week. The things that we discovered are about ourselves in 2020. And what I discovered was that I'm a UFO person. I am a definite believer in UFOs. For anyone who hasn't been paying attention, 2020 was the year of disclosure Basically, the Pentagon admitted that UFOs are a thing. So we had nothing else to do in the year of 2020. So when that happened, it got all of like two weeks of national news attention, I think. Well, and and, and how bad is the state of affairs in this country when we're admitting to aliens and nobody cares? Nobody cared because it was 2020. Nobody cared. So much stuff was happening in 2020. Aliens. The Pentagon said, okay, this is such a freaking train wreck. Now's the time. Now's the time to tell them. And, you know, 10 years from now, when when everybody is being ruled by them, we can say, hey, we told you. You know, how bad is it that nobody cared? (laughs) I don't even know where to start with thinking about that because not only did, I mean, mainstream media picked it up for a little while, but the main source of information for it was Twitter. Right. It was all over Twitter and it, tw- it trended on Twitter for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then it just, was, it just went away. Yep. And I felt like I was kind of looking around at everybody going, did anybody well, else notice this? But let's be real too, because the disclosure that they gave, gave zero context. Pilots flying, objects, they didn't discuss any of the conspiracy about how they've hidden this forever. They didn't discuss the fact that the objects were in some way communicating back to the pilots. They're just like, yep, there are these things. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what they are. And now we're admitting that they exist. That's all we got. 
that was that was all they gave us. So I had always been a person who was interested in UFOs, but I had never been that person sitting there with like the red strings on the wall, around you know wrapped around tacks, plotting and, the landings. Yes, and. Mm -hmm. Connecting the people and I had never been that person, but in 2020 when um, when that happened when they admitted that there are these unidentified flying objects or you unidentified aerial phenomenon, phenomenon UAPs So when that happened, that's kind of when I became the UFO person and I actually started reading Information about UFOs not just on a fun level but an actual, I want to get information level. And I just woke up one morning and realized I totally believe UFOs are real. See, I never had this moment. I've always believed it. So what happened was I started reading some books, listening to podcasts about UFOs, watching lots of documentaries because this past year, 2020, is... Um, the, you know, we had that documentary come out, um, The Phenomenon, I think it was I saw called, that. that was an absolutely amazing documentary because of how fact-based and then also how many credentialed people were interviewed. Yeah. Harry Reid was interviewed, lots of other people who um, had been part of trying to investigate UFOs. So on top of Pentagon, on top of that documentary coming out, um, I was listening to Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. And it's a great podcast. So I'm going to plug that podcast. And his very first episode, he interviewed Richard Ilm Dolan. Now, who Richard Dolan is, he is um, a historian, and he has not only a deep love of politics, but kind of geopolitical movements. And what he did was he actually started studying the U.S. Cold War, World War II, and the security measures that were taken. Because he didn't start out as a UFO guy. Mm -mm. His degree, his education, his training is all as being a historian, so... So much freaky stuff happened with UFOs around World War II that, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to this or know about it. So everywhere he was looking, he was finding this information, and then he got stuck. And so his colleagues actually were the ones, because he, he was interested in UFOs, but he was never a UFO guy. And then one of his colleagues actually said, you're already looking into this stuff. You have interest. Why don't you do something on UFOs? So that's what he ended up doing. And he's now written several books on the subject. But the one I ended up picking up, and I took, looked at Aaron and said, I really think we should talk about this. And the one that he, they, he talked about a little bit on the Somewhere in the Skies episode was, is the UFOs and the national security state. So he basically took, he, the, my book starts at 1941 and goes to 1973. 73 to 91. This book for me was fascinating 
The one of the things I really liked about this book is it's fact-based. He wrote it like a historian. His sources are unclassified documents, journals, um, let's see, lots of memos. He takes other advantage of FOIA quite a lot because um, Freedom of Information Act in the 70s really was like they were handing over information hand over fist. It's tightened down a lot now. So um, he was he, he was looking at things that were declassified and released by the government over history for a very long period of time. So um, especially the early work, he had really good access to a lot of things. So With this book, what he's trying to do, the, the, there's two main things he's trying to do with these books. One thing he's trying to do is show us that what the government said about UFOs and what the government did about UFOs are two completely different things. That's the first thing he wants to show us. The second thing he wants to show us with these books is that our government has been a part of some very secret and horrendous and nasty things all for the sake of national security so his idea here is if our government can do all of these really secret nasty things what makes you think they can't cover up ufos so he's bringing the two things together he's saying okay here is documented evidence from declassified documents, memos of how our government actually looked at UFOs, how our government investigated UFOs, and then how our government actively tried to cover it up. And so then he says, and if that's not good enough for you, look at all the other things that were happening during the time period that they used Mm -hmm. to make the national security state. Mm So the idea of the national security state, let's just kind of take that into account. What was happening in this time period is well, that talk about where you're starting. What World period? War II? Because there were aliens before Roswell. There were alien yes um, and, encounters, or as we would know now, how we would describe them. But Roswell is the one that everybody thinks quintessentially in America. This is where it started, and it actually started way before that. Yeah. But it wasn't until after World War II that UFOs actually started becoming something that we could really document and investigate. And that's because of two things. One, we were actually in the skies. Not only was our military in an airplane flying around, but civilians were as well. Mm -hmm. Also, the invention of radar. Mm -hmm. So radar became a global tool to find solid metal objects and how fast they are flying. So those two things after World War II is why UFOs are considered a true event during, was when it started during that time period. So during World War II, or let's just say at the, yes, the beginning of World War II, but especially after, we had a very dangerous enemy. We needed, 
bigger and better weapons. We needed to find out what the other guy had and we needed to make sure that they don't find out what we have. So during World War II, there was this creation of this web of spies and um, subterfuge. There was money being used that Congress knew nothing about. Yeah, the, the idea of deal. the black budget projects really, That's what it really started. ramped up with this. Yeah, so secrecy. Secrecy seriously started during World War II. And one of, and if to, just to point out one of the reasons why this really ramped up is because of the Manhattan Project. So basically the invention, the invention of the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. um, there was this an entire world created around secrecy when it came to this project. There was um, black budget. This is one of the first times that they ever really used a black budget. And it was going to cost about $100 million, they thought, and it ended up costing $2.19 And Roosevelt knew that Congress was not going to approve that. So basically what he did was it, the idea of, the, of them looking at Congress and saying, we're going to spend $20 million on a toilet seat. Yeah. But then what actually happened was they spent $2 on the toilet seat and the rest of the money went to the project. So that's the idea, kind of a basic idea of how a black budget works. Mm -hmm. But then also that gets into the idea of black sites. So in other words, places that nobody has on record, nobody knows exists. If you were, you know, as of today, you know, these black sites, if you were to look at it on Google Maps, there's nothing there. Or kind they're of all stuff. pixelated. Yeah. Um, just, can I interject? Yeah. Have you ever taken time to look on Google Earth to try to look at the South Pole? No. Okay. So think about this. The Earth is a globe, right? Unless you're a flat earther. And if I say that, no one's going to call in and yell. But um, the, so if you, if you look on Google Earth at, at the South Pole, the like northwest edge of it is in focus and you can see that there are a couple of little research stations there. But if you pan over it, the whole freaking thing is pixelated and not only that but if you're flying from southern chile to southern australia the the fastest way to do that is to fly over the south pole just hop boom you're there not allowed to do it got to circumnavigate you have to go around no one can fly over the south pole why <laughs> do they have a reason is there a reason um, I guess the closest to an official reason I've ever found is that the South Pole isn't actually owned by anyone, and it is a place, supposedly, with all the air quotes, where multinational visits and, and, and like meetings and summits can be held in absolute secrecy, and so they don't allow any part of it to be photographed. So there are buildings in which people can go have secret Or you've heard of a dumb, a deep underground military base. Okay. There, there's a lot of, of speculation that there are dumbs in the South Pole. I'll Google some of this while, while you continue. <laughs> so we had the Manhattan Project. Okay, I want you to realize that by the time the first atomic bomb actually was exploded as a test, 
Not only did the public not know about it, but Congress didn't know about it either. This was a purely secret project. Think about the money that had to be used, the manpower that had to be used, the places that had to be kept secret for this to happen. This was a huge logistic and financial undertaking. So if you really think that our government can't keep UFOs secret, think about the Manhattan Project. And then there's a whole slew of other things that our government, especially during this time period, got up to that shows just how, I want to use the word devious, yeah, it can be, but also just how big of a, have a thing that it can actually hide from mm -hmm. everyone. It can hide it from itself, <laughs> not, ju not just as it hides it to the public, but it can hide to itself. And I'll actually tell you about some of the things that our government did to actually hide things from itself, which is interesting to think about how they did it. Um, also, so not only was, so that was one of the reasons why there was this huge web of secrecy was because of the Manhattan Project. We didn't want anyone to know what we were doing. Um, but also something else happened during this time period. And the idea of spies and espionage and, but also domestic spying mm -hmm. was going on during this time period. So Hoover authorized Roosevelt to allow an open-ended mandate to the FBI to spy on everyone. So um, that's Roosevelt, Operation yes, that's Operation Shamrock. Roosevelt <clears throat> was actually um, being spied on himself. <laughs> he, they, they were spying on him. They were spying on everybody. Um, during this time period of 1940 to 75, the FBI placed 2,465 bugs that we know of against American citizens and almost all required break-ins. Also during this time period, blackmail, mm -hmm. whatever they could use to blackmail you was being collected. And there are those who say that's going on today. Well, hello, Edward Snowden mm -hmm. and Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. So... Yeah, I totally believe that's going on today. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're basically carrying around microphones for our government to listen to us in our hands every day, in my opinion. How the whole, everyone wants to say, okay, well, if UFOs are real, then, you know, how did they just right kind of show up? How did UFOs just kind of show up out of nowhere? They didn't just show up out of nowhere. They showed up. They've been around. There's there's newspaper reports from the 1800s of, of UFOs, all kinds of crazy things. But it wasn't until World War II, World War Two when we were everyone was in the skies and we actually had radar that UFOs became something that got documented and studied and worried about. Mm -hmm. That's one of the big key things is that our government really really worried about. UFOs. So the first real indication that we started worrying about UFOs were the Foo Fighters. So basically in World War II, there were reports from American, British, German, Japanese pilots. Everybody that, in the sky. Yeah. That they were seeing 
uh, metal objects flying, lights. They tried to engage them at times. And people started getting concerned that these were the other sides. Whoever was looking at it was saying, okay, well, this is the other side's secret weapon. This is the other side's new plane. Or So everybody assumed that of everybody else. That's right. And so that's why this was such a huge concern. And there were actually two official um, American investigations into Foo Fighters. One of the more interesting things that happened was in Los Angeles on February 25th, 1942. A number of unidentified craft flew over the city of Los Angeles and seemingly caused a blackout. Mm -hmm. At least a million residents woke to air raid sirens at 2.25 a.m. and U.S. Army personnel fired fort. 1,430 rounds of anti-aircraft shells to bring down what they assumed were Japanese planes. But these were not Japanese planes. George Marshall wrote a memorandum to President Roosevelt about the incident, which remained classified until 1974. Marshall concluded that conventional aircraft were involved, probably commercial sources operated by enemy agents for purpose of spreading alarm disclosing locations of anti-aircraft positions and slowing production through blackout. Despite the barrage of American anti-aircraft fire, none of these commercial planes were brought down, although several homes and buildings were destroyed and six civilian deaths were attributed to the barrage. U.S. Navy Secretary Knox even denied that any aircraft had been over the city. He called it, he, he called, the incident a false alarm due to war nerves. So basically, this um, Knox was trying to deny that anything happened over the city to try to cover up that the military fired at some objects that and killed people, that some objects that were unidentified. And this is one of the cases that um, goes down as a Foo Fighter event. So we have these unidentified flying objects um, that are that soldiers are, are interacting with and that was the those that's the first real documented instances where our military were, were interacting with something out there then in 1946 is when the ghost rocket phenomenon started happening so we have the Foo Fighters but then also we had the um, the ghost rockets. They were bright objects reported zipping through skies in um, Scandinavian countries. Uh, also, finally, Europe, Portugal, France, Italy, Greece, and India. Um, everybody was looking into these rockets because everyone was scared that they were Soviet mi uh, missiles. And at this time, this is when everyone just kind of started going crazy. One of these ghost rockets actually supposedly landed. On July 11th, 1946, a member of the American Embassy in Stockholm actually saw a ghost rocket and sent a telegram to Washington. One landed on beach near Stockholm without causing any damage and according to press fragments are now being studied by military authorities. If missiles are of Soviet origin as generally believed, some ports say that they are launched from Estonia, purpose might be political to intimidate Swedes. 
So supposedly, not Those only dastardly did, Swedes, right? So supposedly, did not only one of these land, but according to this, if we re, if we're reading into what it says, there were actually pieces recovered. But I don't go into that whole part of this phenomenon very much. There's two things that I that are discussed in this book. I'm gonna gloss over. That is. The idea that we've recovered crash, recovered stuff, and then also that alien bodies were have been. Why would you gloss over them? I gloss over them because. Because that's interesting. It's interesting, but our government contradicts itself pretty often on it. There are Which own, means it's totally real. Well, the, our own declassified documents and memos and letters and journals between people who are actually should have been in the know. Mm-hmm. contradict themselves. So in other words, we'll have one person who's writing a letter saying that there might be these, um, that, oh, so-and-so took control of such and such a craft. Mm-hmm. But then the person he wrote that letter to might write another letter, might write another letter later on is, is talking about how, well, you know, if we could ever get one of these. Mm-hmm. It, that would be great. If we ever could get one of these downed UFOs, that would be wonderful. Well, if we did get one, then how come the the letter that was written to you just a little while ago, you know, two months or three months ago, why did it say, um, why did it say we got one if now you're going to say it would be great if we could one get one? One thing that I've been hearing kind of lately that I had not considered is if, if we're being visited by craft, why are we assuming that there are living beings on those crafts? We sent a rover to Mars. We yep. sent, you know, we send satellites. We send machinery out there. And for us, it's because we can't, we don't have the technology yet to send a human. Um, but I would imagine an advanced species would be able to send their living beings, but probably why? Because as, you know, as a race, as a as a species, we're pretty darn violent. I I, I couldn't see them sending you know, their own people, as it were, um, into such a space where you wouldn't know how they would be received. So to assume that there are living beings on these craft, I guess, would be a little odd at this stage in the game. Why wouldn't they just send a rover or a robot or something like that? I think they do talk about this back, even back um, in the 40s and 50s. They talked about that a little bit, about at least they're intelligently controlled. Mm-hmm. Right. But what, you know, I don't know that they, um, I can't, I don't remember in any of these government documents where they actually say whether or not there's a person in there, but they do say they think that they're intelligently controlled. So, did your book get into abductions? Yes. Okay. Um, he does talk about one of the very first abductions, which, that is reported, but it's, which is not the Barney and Betty Hill event, which most people seem to credit as one of the first. See, I feel like a total, like, I want, I want to say dumbass. If you need to edit that out, you can. Because I had no idea about Barney and Betty Hill oh, really? until last night. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And Stu's like, you didn't know about that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, I'll, um, I'll bring it back up later, but there's one really cool thing about Barney and Barney and Betty Hill that I think is important to note. People really need to I talk about the... I just want to call them Rubble. <laughs> Betty and Barney Rubble. 
So these, um, by the way, these this this event of the ghost rockets actually supposedly landing in Stockholm. We actually did try to investigate this, and I want to point something out into the, in this investigation. The man who, one of the men who went to investigate was named General James Doolittle. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason he's kind of important is because he also investigated Foo Fighter. Okay. There, there were two actual American, we know that there were two investigations into Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. um, he was one of the people that did that investigation. Okay. So, now let me tell you what they did with this investigation into the ghost rockets, the one that supposedly landed in Stockholm. Okay. Doolittle do said he was in Sweden merely as a private citizen on behalf of his new employer, Shell Oil Company. Mm -hmm. Sarnoff, another man that was with Doolittle, of RCA, mm -hmm. was one of the world's leading electronics experts, a pioneer in, the, in radio and television, and had been a brigadier general during the war. Upon, upon consulting with the highest Swedish authorities on the ghost rockets, they learned that some objects had been tracked on radar. Unfortunately, little else is known about the Doolittle Sarnoff trip or what conclusion they reached. What is clear, though, is that soon after their arrival, the Swedish government clamped down on ghost rocket information. That, in turn, coincided with an upsurge in interest by prominent Americans. The New York Times, for example, mentioned that American Undersecretary of State Dean Ackeson was personally interested in the matter, although he maintained that U.S. government was never consulted officially on the subject. So, one, the reason I want to point out Doolittle is because what, one of the things you'll learn when you start actually looking into what the government did with UFOs and how they treated UFOs is that the same players are involved over mm -hmm. and over and mm -hmm. over again. So, mm -hmm. that kind of shows that if the same people are involved in looking at it every single time, first off, we're interested. Mm -hmm. But second off, it's so much easier to cover something up if, if, if not a whole a bunch of people. Cast are, of characters. Exactly. So that's that's something very that's something to note. This is one of the one of the times when the same people are looking at the same th at looking at UFOs. Mm -hmm. We're going to move on a little bit. So we have the Foo Fighters, we have the Ghost Rockets. Now let's talk about a little bit about what's happening. We have these growing aid these agencies all trying to handle secrecy. They're all trying to handle intelligence. And they were battling with each other. There was a lot of infighting going on. And they were doing a lot of dirty things to each other. By mid-1947, the reorganization and expansion of America's national security apparatus as well underway and a fair portion is is well underway and a fair portion of this remained covert. It should not be surprising, therefore, that the UFO problem emerged within the American military before it became a public issue. Yet on the eve of the Kenneth Arnold sighting, and I'll talk about that, no one had foreseen just how big the UF problem, UFO problem would become. I want to point out about the ghost rockets that um, some policymakers regarded the ghost rockets as Soviet psychological warfare. And that there was there was some covert action that was put in place as response to the ghost rockets. 
So we were putting policy in place because of UFOs. Okay. At one, at one well, point and that, time. yeah, I mean, like publicly or privately? Like, like, like they were making the public know or? No. Yeah, okay. No. Yeah, so, and, and I would hazard to say we still are. There was, there was, there's another point in time later that I'll talk about, which um, when the Army, or I'm sorry, the Air Force actually put some policy in place, making it illegal for anyone to share any information about UFOs. Yeah. Anyone in the military, if you share, and commercial pilots. Wow. Now, what actually started the UFO crisis before Roswell? We have Kenneth Arnold. A pilot and businessman, Kenneth Arnold, from Boise, Idaho, was flying near Mount Rainier, Washington, in search of a down C-46 marine transport and a sizable reward. So he's going to get rewarded if he finds the... Yeah, right. he's a whistleblower. He saw a tremendously bright flash and noticed a formation of nine bright, extremely fast objects moving along in a column. He was startled because he saw no trail on the object, no tail on the objects. At first, he thought they must be experimental jets and that the Air Force were using camouflage to hide the tails. He said they flew in a definite formation, but backwards with the first craft elevated more than the others. That's creepy, like your demon book. <laughs> Their flight was like speedboats on rough water. Or like a saucer would if you skipped it across water. He estimated their size to be about 100 feet in diameter. Arnold was struck by how fast the objects seemed to be moving, so he decided to measure their speed, and they passed between Rainier Peak and another peak he knew to be 50 miles away. They covered this distance in 1 minute and 42 seconds, a speed of 1,700 miles per hour. He thought he was wrong on that estimate, so he actually redid his measurements, and he came up with 1,200 miles per hour. In 1947, no craft could do that. And then on June 27th, so this happened on June 24th, the 27th, Army Air Force Public Relations Officer Captain Tom Brown stated the Army had no idea what they are. So we have tons of other sightings that are happening during this time period. We have um, an, an Army Air Force pilot is seeing something. We have four Army Force, four Air Force officers. Yeah, Navy officers. The ch uh, an Albuquerque, uh, a member of the Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> a meteorologist and an astronomer through all throughout the summer of 47 they're seeing all of these crazy things in the sky captain edward j smith and co and his co-pilot ralph stevens of united airlines smith was highly regarded pilot with much experience in the air while en route to portland smith and stevens saw nine disc-like objects smith's stature prompted an fbi investigation into the sighting which credited him as reliable so we have all of these things happening in our skies during this year. That was the first time that there's actually documents of them going, we need to do something about this. And then Roswell happened. Right. So the, all of that to say, right, there was very real activity that was being observed and talked about 
prior to Roswell. So when Roswell happened, as much as you would think it would have been a shocker to everybody, this buzz had been going on anyway. The buzz had been going on definitely with our military. Publicly, it wasn't as... It wasn't paid as it wasn't paid attention to as 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 much as you would think it was, but definitely within the military. Now there, I'm gonna skip over a little bit about Roswell, just to say that it happened. There are a million books and documentaries and movies about Roswell. Everybody knows about Roswell. We yeah. The only thing that we really need to know is that something crashed in the summer of '47. Mm -hmm. We we don't really know. And we're pretty sure it wasn't a weather balloon. Yeah, uh, pretty sure it pretty wasn't sure. a weather balloon. Or swamp gas. Yeah, and one of some of the things to note about Roswell, though, is that the a commanding officer of the 509th Bomb Group was actually sent to investigate this. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the nation's elite units and the only military group in the world with atomic capability at that time. So he actually got sent to investigate this. So, see, that's like Department of Energy level stuff. People and don't then, realize this, but when you get into clearances like top secret and classified and, and all that stuff, the highest level of clearance you can get is not through the U.S. military. It's through the Department of Energy because the Department of Energy deals with the atomic nuclear stuff. Also... One of the, or something else to note is that two members of military upper brass showed up in New Mexico during the time that this supposedly happened, even though they were both reported to be elsewhere. They were um, Lieutenant General Nathan Twining and General Carl Spatz. So something crashed. Mm -hmm. There was actually a press conference um, was happened that where they actually reported that the military had pieces of a craft of a craft well there's a picture and then they reversed it later saying yeah. that it was a balloon right because there's this picture of what in my opinion looks like nowadays looks like mylar like you know the shiny silver stuff that balloons are made of that's what it looks like in the photograph but that the report was that it was um extremely strong they couldn't rip it or tear it <clears throat> excuse me they couldn't break it they couldn't do anything like that um but it's it was very lightweight like foil so um you know was that ever looked at under a microscope probably will we ever be told about it probably not well we the government wants us to believe that they really wouldn't pay that much attention to it mm -hmm. but the fbi followed the events an fbi teletype labeled urgent and, it's, and it was headed, flying disc information concerning was sent shortly after the Ramsey press conference. So the press conference that we're talking about that mm -hmm. um, where they backtracked. Right. It was sent to Edgar Hoover and Strategic Air Command in Cincinnati. And what it said was Major Curtin, HQ 8th Air Force telephonically advised this office that an object purporting to be a flying disc was recovered near Roswell, New Mexico. This date, the disc is hexagonal in shape and was suspended from a balloon by a cable, which balloon was approximately 20 feet in diameter, 
blacked out section further advised that the object found resembles a high altitude weather balloon with a radar reflector but the telephonic conversation between the, their office and right field had not borne out this belief disc and balloon being transported to right field by special plane for examination information provided this office because of national interest in case blacked out and fact that national broadcasting company associated press and others attempting to break story of location of disc today so this tries to it makes it sound like it might be a balloon but then says no but we don't think that's what the, what this actually is mm -hmm. something else to know about this case that a lot of people don't realize is that the man who found the balloon was actually taken away mm -hmm. for days interviewed and when he came back to town he was actually under um guard for days nobody was allowed to talk to him and when he went everywhere he went in town wow. he had he had a he had, he had a guard with him that's crazy well i'm glad they let him go back to town <laughs> i mean nowadays he just disappeared <laughs> So there's going to be a pattern. You're going to see a constant pattern. So basically what happens is something, something crazy happens, right? The government basically investigates, publicly says it wasn't even there, or, and that the thing that they were investigating was just a weather balloon. Not my child. The but, check's in the mail. Exactly. <laughs> but... Documents show that they were serious, they were investigating, and that they were scared. Mm -hmm. They were really, really scared. On Monday the 7th, so this was right after Roswell, a young man named William H. Rhodes of Phoenix, Arizona, took two photographs of a flying saucer, which were pub published two days later on the front page of the Arizona Republic, right next to the article debunking the Roswell crash. The photographs did not appear in any other newspapers, but Rhodes was soon visited by an FBI agent and an intelligence officer from Hamilton Field, California. At their request, he gave them his pictures, which he never saw again. In early 1948, Rhodes was asked to come to Wright-Patterson Field for an interview. He declined and was soon afterward interviewed for a second time at his home. There are so many stories like that. It just, it boggles the mind. So, an FBI memo titled, Flying Discs, sent in a request suggesting that discs could be a communist-inspired plan to induce mass hysteria. And the, now, this is when a pattern starts, okay? Mm -hmm. The big pattern is this. Our government says nothing's going on. Mm -hmm. Our government's actually looking into it, right. even though they say nothing's going on. Mm -hmm. A UFO frenzy happens. Right. The government then says, oh, well, we'll, we'll have somebody look into it. Publicly, somebody's looking into it. Mm -hmm. Who's not actually looking into it. No. And then another, and then they, the government comes out and says, UFOs, they never happened. Oh, it's, it's, it, was, it was just a weather balloon. You're just looking at the planet Mars. It was Venus. <laughs> you were chasing, the, you saw military airplanes chasing Venus for whatever reason. Um, and then it's, it's supposed to go away. It's, it's going to vanish. But then the UFOs don't, um, don't, don't know that. There's another frenzy. So there has to be another public something committee or something that 
that's supposed to look into it. And, and then this, all of these committees <laughs> have to be funded. Yes. Right. Taxpayer, taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. So we have Roswell, okay? Floodgates opened. The military doesn't know what to do. Now, think about this, okay? Our military, one of the big things with them is they don't want to admit that they don't know what the heck's going on. Plus, they are still worried that this is some type of military weapon that the other people have. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, So it's also good for warfare because, you know, our, our enemies at the time think we have all kinds of super crazy technology. So, now, because of this UFO frenzy... That is when we have Project Sign. Oh, I don't know about this. Okay, Project Sign is what um, preceded Project Grudge. Oh, so I don't know about this. Okay, so you have Project Sign, you have Project yes, Grudge. The Sign and the Grudge. Two different things. Dang. One's okay. aliens, one's paranormal. Damn it. Okay. Yeah. So you had Project Sign... And then that turned in, and then you had Project Grudge, and then you had Project Blue Book. I remember that. So Everybody knows about Blue Book. Yeah, same, same deal. Okay. Same deal. Um, on September 23rd, 1947, Twining. So remember Twining from earlier who investigated Roswell? Yes, he was one of the people over Roswell, mm-hmm. one of the military brass that was in the area that supposedly wasn't in the area at the right. time period. Yeah. He, um, he wrote a classified, now famous letter regarding the flying discs. He noted that the discs were real and not visionary or fictitious. They may possibly be natural phenomenon, he wrote, such as meteors, but the reported operating characteristics such as extreme rates of climb, maneuverability, particularly in roll, and action, which must be considered evasive when sighted, lends belief to the possibility that some of the objects are controlled either manually, automatically, or remotely. So Twining recommended the Air Force headquarters issue a directive assigning a priority security classification and code name for a detailed study of this matter. He also ordered that the best UFA reports be sent to several different places, one of them being Atomic, Atomic, Atomic Energy Commission. So, like you were saying earlier. I was saying. Mm-hmm. Now he his letter states that there were no there was no wreckage found anywhere, but that he does that he does believe that UFOs were not secret American crafts. Mm-hmm. So that is what preceded. Let's also to take start a Project Sign to think about after Roswell is when we started using transistors in our electronics. Have you read anything about that yet? No. Okay, so we didn't really use transistors. I don't know. I'm not an electronics person, so I don't know. But we didn't use them. I just I saw this in some of my research. Um, we maybe hadn't even invented them at the time. I have no idea. But after Roswell, transistors start get putting in, getting put into everything, radios and all kinds of stuff, and it increases our ability to communicate around the world. Okay. And so... What you do find in a lot of these things is when there's a big alien event, there's also another leap in technology. Have you found that in your reading? Typically, Not there's really. a leap in technology after there's a major UFO event. 
So, but what are you saying? Are you saying that we're learning from things, something from yeah. UFOs, or because we are well, worried like, about UFOs? That's supposed to be what, what like Skunk Works is all about. Is is like reverse engineering all this alien technology that we're collecting. See, that's later in here, though. So, there, yeah, I don't know. My book does talk about the collecting of stuff. Okay. And the reverse engineering and all of that. So, we're trying to figure out if this is Soviet or something else. So, we establish the Project Sign in 47. Project Sign, basically, they're collecting UFO reports. They are... These reports are highly classified. Their whole idea is that they want to explain these reports to the public. That's what they want to do. Now, they are studying these things, but when it comes to what you find out, it's going to be completely different mm -hmm. than what they're actually seeing. Now, a project sign goes along, but um, what they did in 49 was they released to the public their final report. Okay? Is it as good as the Warren Commission's? So, <laughs> journalists who said what, what, who actually told everybody what the report said, they never actually read the actual data but instead retook their cue from the report's conclusion. Mm -hmm. Of the 237 UFO cases, it contained 48 or 20% were unexplained. Despite the huge unexplained rate, the report concluded that there, were, there was too little evidence to prove or disprove an objective existence of flying saucers. It recommended closing the project when the Air Force determined the sightings did not represent a security threat to the nation. The report conceded that UFOs could not yet be dismissed as a security threat, and it rejected the likelihood that UFOs were Soviet. But our newspapers, mm -hmm. they didn't really pay attention to that. No, and it's really odd how they're, even today, just totally looking in the other direction. During this same time period, the FBI issued a, mem a memo on UFOs titled Protection of Vital Installations. And, what, and one of the things it said is, Army intelligence has recently said that the matter of unidentified aircraft or unidentified aerial phenomenon, otherwise known as flying disks, flying saucers, and balls of fire, is considered top secret by intelligent officers of both the Army and the Air Forces. But yet, this is something we're not supposed to worry about. Mm-hmm. An intelligence memo stated, position that publicity of this nature is undesirable, but if such articles are written, they will be less harmful to the national interest of a degree if a degree of guidance in their preparation is exercised by the di Directorate of Intelligence. So in other words, there were several articles written during this time period mm -hmm. that the Army helped write. <laughs> so our Army... Our military actually helped write several articles during this time period. Mm -hmm. The more I learn about this, the more I am convinced that really the military, the Pentagon, is in control of this country. We do like, not have a con con constitutional republic. We have an oligarchy. And, and that's what I'm saying, is that, is that I realize that we, we argue our politics, but it's really just kind of, you know, 
pushing chips around the board like a weird game of backgammon or something. Nothing gets done without sign off on the, from the Pentagon. Nothing. So, again, Project Sign. Tons of things were happening during this time period. They were investigating. They were interested. But publicly, it was nothing to worry about. During this time period, Colonel Robert B. Landry, who was President Harry S. Truman's Air Force aide, gave quarterly briefing to Truman for four and a half years until the end of his presidency on aliens. Yet Carter was all about the aliens. But do you know that he actually went back, he backtracked on it after a while? No, but he was the guy, I, 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 I don't know about him, his story, because like, I know he said he saw aliens or UFOs, um, but he, during his presidency, you had a ton of disclosure. Like a lot of documents were released during the Carter presidency. What happened after Project Sign was Project Grudge. And Grudge was expected to do two things. Explain, explain every UFO report, then tell the public how it has solved all the sightings. <laughs> and basically what everyone says is that this was actually an, actually an attempt to go underground and to make the project more secretive. Mm -hmm. When they changed it over to Project Grudge. And this is when the full, the actual full push to debunk UFOs really started. Right. Was once we changed it over to Project Grudge. Why did they name it Grudge? Is there any story about that? Not that I know of. I know that I know why they had uh, they named Project Paperclip Project Paperclip. But no, I do not know about Project Grudge. Or Project Sign. I don't know why they called it that either. Mm-hmm. But as we're gonna find out, history repeats itself. We're going to make this push to debunk things, but then more UFOs happen. In 1950s, another rash of, of sightings, okay? Um, they actually had UFOs over Air Force bases. We had fighters trying to intercept. Tons of commercial um, airplanes were running into it. We're running into UFOs on May 11th, 1950. Mr. and Mrs. Paul Trent, a farming couple who saw a classic flying saucer over their land early one evening. They took two clear shots of it. Fortunately, it fortunately between <laughs> pictures, as the object was moving away, the couple also changed their position, therefore allowing a detailed photographic analysis of the object. The Trents assumed that they had seen some type of exotic military aircraft. They did not develop the film in their camera until they used it up and showed the photos only to a few friends. Eventually, it reached the cover of Life. But even then, the Trents never showed any desire of making money from it. Now, I saw their story on um, The Phenomenon, that movie. Yes. And the way they spun it on the phenomenon, it was funny, was a, a reporter had come and wanted to see the pictures that the guy had taken. And he said, I hadn't developed it yet. I hadn't used up the film roll. And so the reporter had to buy the roll of film from the guy because he wasn't just going to hand it over. <laughs> and then he took it to get it developed. And when he developed it, it was actually pictures of... Of her in her new outfit or something? It was like her and their prize-winning, like... Zucchini. Pumpkin or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's what <laughs> was that was. So that's what else was on the on the <laughs> film. 
But now, we don't care about UFOs, right? It's mm -hmm. nothing to worry about. Well, the FBI and people from the Air Force showed up to ask questions of these poor little farmers out in the middle of nowhere. The, the CIA actually was created during this time period, and they were all over the UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Then there was a huge tipping point. Basically, we that's when Grudge became Blue Book. So now, Project Blue Book, y'all, when it first started, just to show you how much of a sham this really was, it had a whopping staff of 12 people. Yeah. But it was under the helm of Rupal. He was who was actually in charge. And the thing about him is he was very, very interested in UFOs. So because of because he was at the helm and because these sightings started to kind of go haywire, mm -hmm. um, he was able to get a little bit of legitimacy to it and was actually able to start doing some real investigations. But publicly, they were still just weather balloons. Even though, as you read these declassified documents in this book and these memos, that was definitely not what they were. The mother of all things happened. UFO showed up over Washington for two weekends in a row. Mm -hmm. They showed up over the over White DC. House and the Capitol building. That was when people started losing their minds behind closed doors. That is when our government actually, for some reason, you know, we can have UFOs over that field over there in Kentucky, and we can have little spacemen attacking families, fa uh, attacking um, drunk families over in Kentucky. But when right. you put them over the White House... <laughs> yeah, they can have all the, the Kentucky hillbillies they want. When you put them over the White House, we're going to have issues. And actually, right after that, the White House had... Well, Washington DC, in Washington, D.C., the Air Force held its largest and longest press conference since the end of World War II. And the whole point of the press conference was to be like, there's nothing to see here. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And also, so one of the men over the press conference, Major General John Samford, he was not a scientist. He was just the director of Air Force Intelligence, but he was giving information as if he was a scientist. And then wow. another man, Captain Roy James, a radar specialist, he actually knew nothing about it. He knew nothing about the incident. He had just arrived that morning and actually knew nothing about it. But yet he was standing there giving information about it. The official story was that it's a temperature inversion. However, that was the official Air Force. That's the, everybody was seeing these, this temperature inversion in the sky. And now that was the official report, right? It got discredited years later by the Air Force in their own scientific report. Now, during this time period, this is when they started actually trying to clamp down on anybody giving any information to anybody, if you were in the military. 
which superseded AF200-5 from the previous year, the order tightened UFO reporting and investigating procedures and further restricted the release of UFO information. It directed that all confirmed UFO reports be rushed electronically to Air Force Intelligence when possible. All tangible evidence would go to ATIC at Dayton, which was the body that was supposedly put in charge of most of the UFO investigations. But it wasn't. UFO reports were coming in. And they're supposed to go to ATIC and then Blue Book, right? Okay. That's not what was happening. Where were they going? Um, UFO reports were coming in and pretty much just going to any um, body that wanted it. So at this point, they weren't taking it seriously again. So what they were doing was these reports were coming in and so let's say it was a navy person so all the reports from all of the branches were supposed to be coming in and then going to ATIC and blue book mm -hmm. no so if it was navy people navy personnel were going over it if it was air force people air force people were going over it and then what they were doing was they were looking at all of these reports and they were um deciding which one should go to blue book even though rupa were they looking over blue for book, this, the stuff to send to Blue Book, were they looking for what was easiest to discredit? Yep. And then they were burying everything else. But then also anything that had any type of restricted or top secret information in it couldn't go to Blue Book. But yet some of the top secret information was that if there was any maneuverability or intercept that couldn't go to blue book so in other words who's maneuvering and then who what are you intercepting so what are like you trying to out what's actually plausible exactly so blue book was spun as a we're doing investigations because there's so much interest in it but what it ultimately was is we're only investigating what we know disproves exactly and, and a blue book went on for years but at one point, Blue Book, actually, their staff got down to only two people. But then, again, a rash of, of reports came in. Mm -hmm. And they started to get scared that what was going to happen was that these reports were actually going to clog the airways. So, military was actually finding where they couldn't get some of their regular communications to each other because there were so many reports coming in. And they were worried that if this kept happening, that the Soviets were actually going, we're actually to, going to be able to succeed at stuff. Exactly. Wow. So they had to find a way to clamp down. They needed a way to make this stop. They not only wanted to stop the public from talking, but they also wanted to stop their own military. So, of course, that was um, when some of those... Those... Uh, those laws i want to say laws but it's in the ufo yeah, it's in the military so they're not laws it's some kind of code procedures those things right. happened where you know you're gonna get fined ten thousand dollars if you say something mm -hmm. now remember that was also to commercial pilots right commercial pilots were also not allowed to say anything and commercial pilots there were actually petitions written during this time period by commercial pilots saying no 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 we don't want to there is something we happening for your military well there is something right. happening and we want to be able to talk about it right there were like two or three petitions during this time period wow so project grudge all right project grudge made basically 
their investigations turned into Blue Book. There was another huge rash of sightings. Mm -hmm. And so that is when not the Condon report, but the Robertson panel happened. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Robertson panel? So we had we had Project Sign turned into Project Grudge. Same idea. We had Blue Book. Blue Book had a tiny bit of credibility for a little while, mm -hmm. but then they lost it. Right. Then a rash of sightings happened again. And tons, I mean, we're talking about events where our uh, military bases were being flown over. Yes, we I've were, read a lot about those. Um, where uh, some of our atomic facilities, the missiles were being shut down. Mm-hmm. They would fly over, and the, the next thing, everything, everything would shut down. Right, um, and, and the the command could not communicate with the with the silos, and everything was rendered completely useless until the sparkly lights went away. Exactly. Yes, and that was freaking the military completely out. Blackouts. Yes. Blackouts were happening, and and it seemed to be centered on these military bases. Yes. It's like it's like whatever was coming down knew that this is a place of mass destruction. And then whenever... And they were just flexing. They were flexing on the U.S. military. And so whenever they would send planes to intercept or mm -hmm. to go look, they would fly away. Yeah. At, at angles and rates that could not be replicated on Earth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we have all this craziness going on. The government's... I mean, the public is getting antsy again. And, and so if you think about it over time, we go from seeing stuff, but it's really not doing anything. It's just flying over. It's... To to this evolving of if it seems to know where it is now and it's really poking the hornet's nest. Yeah, so we're clogging military um, communications. Like you said, give the the Soviet um, Union a chance to cause some mischief. They needed a way to control everything. They needed a way to clamp down, but not just on the government, but on civilian groups. You have to realize there's civ civilian groups that popped up during this time period right. to investigate themselves. Mm -hmm. And they just need to slow down reports. They need to stop rumors because there were rumors going around all kinds of air, um, mil military bases that there were little green men, bodies being taken, and there were UFO crashes. They needed to stop that. So how can we do this, especially because what had started was, it was in, within Congress and the military and in the public, they had what they called the UFO party. These were basically people who wanted to stop secrecy because they mm -hmm. knew something was going on. And they said, we need to stop this. We need to figure out how we're going to do that. So that's when they did the Robertson panel. The main goal of the Robertson panel. So you know, let's just apply a little parenting to the government right now. I'm going to look at the <laughs> camera. Children, you know that when something happens and you, you're not honest about it and you don't tell the whole story, when it happens, that you just have to build bigger and bigger and bigger stories to keep it from coming out. And then one day, you're just completely not believable. Our government needs to learn this. <laughs> so the so now remember, okay, we had Project Sign. We had Project Bo Grudge. We had Project Blue Book. Nothing was satisfying the public. Okay, so we got to figure out what to do. So we do the Robertson panel. Now, the Robertson panel was actually kept... Uh, secret until 58. Mm -hmm. The Robertson panel was not meant to be in the public eyes. 
what they did was they got together and to appease some of these parties in the government and in the military that wanted secrecy to be taken away. Right. What they did was they got together and for a couple of days they had some of these people do reports and talk about UFOs so that they would be happy thinking that somebody's listening to them. And then what their main focus was, their main goal was they were to discuss how to debunk UFOs and how to steer the UFOs away from the wrong people. So people from Project Project Blue Book actually um, did some reports. Uh, Donald Kehoe uh, did some um, stuff in front of them to kind of, you know, he they wanted these people, these UFO people within the military, within the, and some of them who were civilians working with the military, to be happy. They wanted you to think we're I'm listening gonna, to you. I want to give you enough so that yeah. you will feel heard, but not give you anything that's actionable. Exactly. And then give you enough to get you to stop asking. Exactly. Now, they actually, this panel, there were some memos going around and some talks happening behind closed doors where they actually suggested that there should be a, um, that it, okay, possibly dangerous in having the military service foster public concern in nocturnal meandering lights. Therefore, it recommended an educational or training program targeted to the public to eliminate the popular feeling that every sighting, no matter how poor the data, must be explained in detail. The educational program aimed toward training and debunking. The debunking aim would result on in like something now. <laughs> the debunking aim would result in reduction in private Completely interest. Baseless conspiracy theory. Yep. Result Already in reduction. Debunked. <laughs> result in reduction in public interest in flying saucers, which today evokes a strong psychological reaction. This education could be accomplished by mass media such as television, motion pictures, and popular articles. Can you say Project Mockingbird? Yeah. So, does your book go into that? No, my mine book does. does not go into um, Project Mockingbird. <laughs> I, think mine does. I think I go into Mockingbird. Let's see. So this this panel was used to put more policy in place. One of the policies that it put in place, like I said, was to destabilize Project Blue Book. Like I said, at one point, Project Blue Book actually um, turned into like two staffers. Basically, they were getting none of the reports, none of the good stuff was coming to them. Um, that's what this this panel the purpose of this caused panel. right okay. to happen right. So, because their their what their report what they said was there's nothing to worry about. You don't even need to be investigating this. We just need to stop. Our, the public from really knowing about it. We need to stop our military from spreading it. So some more policies got put in place. These types of things, you know, like I said, $10,000 if you report anything, even to the our um, commercial pilots. And there was actually a lockdown on UF reports for a while. Now, it's not that these things weren't still happening. They were mm -hmm. happening all over the world. We're just not allowed to talk about it. We're just not talking about it. 
Plus, this is when the some of the serious debunking in our TV media really, you know, really ramped up. Okay, so my book doesn't talk about Mockingbird. I'm going to Google it and see what year Mockingbird started. <laughs> and so, again, like I said, even though the, the, UFO, the reports were dropping, um, officially dropping, in other words, what Blue Book said happened, um, was saying, you know, the number of reports the Blue Book said were happening it started dropping. But after a while, after a few years, there was there were more reports so history just keeps repeating itself mm -hmm. we keep getting we keep seeing where the government is saying this isn't happening more ufo reports happen huge events happen so then the government says okay well we'll have somebody look into this for you and then they come out with oh there there's nothing you know this is nothing to worry about okay. and then again it happens again it just keeps repeating mockingbird is my era 1973 Okay. Okay. But basically, Mockingbird is just the CIA working with the media to tell them what the news is. So this kind of feels like a forerunner to that. Is that you know we know all these things are going on. It, well, like right now, you know, in 2020, we have disclosure. The Pentagon tells us aliens are a thing, but the news is going to report on anything but. Now this is when the civilian groups make make a difference. Okay. Okay. This is the time period when civilian groups started really making a difference for like 54 um, to like 56, I think, is when this really started hitting home. There's two civilian groups that you need to know about. One is APRO, the Aerial Phenomenon Research Aerial Phenomena Research Organization ran by, ran by Jim and Coral Lorenzen, and then NECAP. I'm saying kneecap. It might be NICAP. I don't know. National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena. That was that was ran by Major Donald Edward Kehoe. He is a huge UFO person. He's like he's a UFO guy. He's a guy. The other person. He's like aliens. Exactly. <laughs> the another key player is James McDonald. Now, James McDonald's a fun one, okay? This guy, I believe he was just a meteorologist. Okay. And he was a guy who actually got access to some of the files at Wright-Patterson Base to Ooh. be able to basically debunk UFOs. He was supposed to be part, he was supposed to be able to say, okay, are some of these clouds up here in the sky, could they possibly have been UFOs? Well, during his little investigation, he's getting paid to look into this. He finds a memo where the government's basically saying, we need to hide this. <laughs> so he gets really upset and he's evidently very loud very brash very brave that's what everybody says about him he's a very brave man so he he had he has no f's to give mm -hmm. basically he goes knocking on everybody's door um so what you have is apro NICAP, NICAP. I would say NICAP. <laughs> I think it's NICAP. Maybe. I don't know. And Let's then James McDonald. Okay. So you, and, and see, Major Donald um, Kehoe, one of the things about him is that he was in the military. He had lots of friends in the military. Mm -hmm. So what 
it, what APRO tried to do, what they were trying to do was they wanted to investigate sighting by sighting. That's where they said that you were going to get secrecy to go mm -hmm. away. Now, Kehoe's group said, no, we're going to do it through the government. So he was actually trying to get some kind of committee started up through Congress. He was the guy who every time some little thing happened and he could get a, a document from the military proving it happened, he would write a report and send a letter to everybody in Congress. Because mm -hmm. he wanted a congressional hearing or investigation or something. He wanted somebody... He wanted acknowledgement at those high levels. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's what he tried to do. And then him and James McDonald kind of worked together. So... What happened, though, was during this time period, so we have these civilian organizations really fussing. We have James McDonald going and running up into Congress and knocking on doors and yelling at people and going, do you not see what, mm -hmm. what I just found? The military's telling us? Yeah. Right. So we have a, a supposed crash in Las Vegas. We have the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. There were, there's the Killian event. And then there's um, a story of six jets intercepting a UFO in 1959. So you have all of this stuff happening all at once. And this is also the time of the Kecksburg crash, which is considered another Roswell. Um, and then at the same time, the Air Force makes a huge boo-boo. Mm -hmm. It makes several huge boo-boos. What did he? How'd they screw up? They really, really, really took it past the tipping point with their explanations. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about mass sighting um, happening. Let's, let's just, I'm giving, you know, just kind of making the story up. So we have this mass sighting over, over the White House where 200 people, including the president, including people who were ex-military, ex-pilots, all standing up and actually looking at little green men hovering in the air next to the UFO. Mm -hmm. Like that kind Undeniable. of Right, like that serious of stuff was going on in this time period. And a man who, the next day, they ship in a man who um, was drunk and could, was slurring his speech, and he stands up in front and does a press conference instead of a bunch of reporters and says, it was birds. Y'all saw, <laughs> saw a flock of... It was birds. <laughs> Y'all saw a flock of pelicans, <laughs> and... It was a flock of pelicans. I need that on a t-shirt. It, it was birds. It was a flock of pelicans, <laughs> and they were carrying a bunch of squirrels in their mouths. <laughs> and that's the kind of BS that the army was pulling. That the Air Force was pulling at this time period. <laughs> and so we have huge blackouts. Another Roswell. Supposedly another um, crash in Las Vegas. Abductions started happening. Humanoid sightings were happening like crazy during mm -hmm. this time period. There's this during this time period is when people were saying that they actually saw people outside of crafts. These little men outside of crafts holding up devices and scanning the dirt and taking up plants Samples and, and uh -huh. all craziest stuff started happening. And then the Air Force has the drunk guy show up and say it was all birds. Like that's that's when there was like this crescendo. It was just a crescendo. 
So it was getting away from the Air Force again. Again, we had this happen again, right? Mm -hmm. So now the Condon Report. Are you familiar with the Condon Report? I'm not. All right. Um, Amber is offering to make us uh, T-shirts to say it was birds. Good. Yes. I will take a T-shirt that says it was birds. <laughs> with a pelican with a squirrel in its mouth. Yeah, a pelican with a squirrel in its mouth. <laughs> and, and if the squirrel could be um, playing a recorder or, or juggling, that'd be good. Um, so, basically, our government, once again, <laughs> said, okay, we're going to make everybody happy. No, seriously, we're going to make everybody, everybody happy. happy. Lots of swamp gas in non-swampy places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's non-swampy non places. Got lots of swamp gas going on, evidently, during this time period. So now we have the Condon Report, okay? okay? Tell me about this. All right. Now remember. Everybody's happy. <laughs> All right. Sign. Sign. Grudge. Blue Book. Blue Book. Also, during right after right after Blue Book, we had um, the the Robertson panel. Robertson panel was all about trying to figure out how to debunk right. to our to everyone. Right, it's not real. Go it's home. Not, yeah, exactly. It's over. And that Go was supposed to, that was a secret panel. Now that wasn't supposed to be public. Okay. Um. Then they said, "Okay, let's do this again." Condon Report. How do we make everybody happy? I got James McDonald standing outside my door telling me that he that there's some other guy over there in the corner who saw a little green man dancing in his front yard. I've got Edward Kehoe writing me five letters a day. Um, and I'm the top, I'm the person who's trying to keep all this top secret. Mm -hmm. Plus, there was, you know, the pelicans flying over, the, there was the supposed pelicans flying over the White House with the squirrels in their mouths that mm. was actually a UFO. How do I do this? How do I make everybody happy and everybody shut up and go away? Mm -hmm. So this, so what they finally came up with was, what if we find a university that's going to investigate this in a completely scientific manner, but... We actually control the narrative. Oh, you mean like everything today? Right. Okay. <laughs> That's what they did. Enter the University of Colorado, by oh, the way. Oh, gee. From Mile High City. <laughs> Were they in Denver? So this was... <laughs> so this was actually directed by um, Edward U Condon and a man named Robert Lowe. Okay. Now, Not to be confused with Rob Lowe. No, although literally. Rob literally. Lowe, literally, Rob Lowe. Now, while you're flipping, I gotta, I gotta give you a song quote. So, are you familiar with an old '70s band called um, Doctor Hook and the Medicine Show? They did a song called "Cookie and Lila," and it's about a, a short order cook and a waitress in this truck stop cafe, and the chorus says, "Cause Cookie's been to war, Lord, and Lila's been to Denver." And both of them are casualties of someone else's dreams. That's great deep. song, right? <laughs> That's what I think about every time I hear about Denver. <laughs> casualties of someone else's dreams. So Condon, 
who's supposed to be over this scientific, this group of scientists who's going to really study UFOs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that he publicly admitted that he doesn't believe in UFOs. He, he even to his colleagues would actually say things like, them damn UFOs. Because, Not biased at all. No. Mm -mm. Lowe, the assistant in this project, there was actually, he wrote a memorandum that was discovered where he stated that the trick to the project would be to describe it so that to the public it would appear a totally objective study, but to the scientific community would present the image of a group of non-believers trying their best to be objective, but having an almost zero expectation of finding a saucer. These were the people that were heading up a committee. Now, it had the support of the civilian groups. It had the support of the scientists that wanted something done about this. It had everybody's support. But the two but it was leaders being run by people who the two were leaders make it fail. were openly well, Lowe wasn't, but Condon public. You know, he went to, he went out and had speeches. He was like a keynote speaker somewhere, and he would just be like, "These stupid UFOs," kind of nonsense is what he would talk about and um so these two people basically had the support and, and their panel their their group of scientists had the support of these civilian organizations until condon started running his mouth and also they were doing things like they wouldn't look at old reports after a certain before a certain date they wouldn't look at them mm -hmm. they were only going to investigate new reports but then their investigative team that supposedly went out would aren't we armed with like a tape measure <laughs> and there were only so many people that were actually investigating so okay. it was a complete and total sham wow. and they lost the support of not only did they lose the support of the civilian organizations, but their a huge chunk of their staff got up and walked out because their staff said, we want to investigate. Yeah, we don't want to just sit here and pretend like we're doing something. We want to do this. We want to be, we want to be armed with more than just tape measures. Right. And they walked out. Uh-huh. So Condon, Lowe, I think Lowe was still involved. They called in a new group of people. And this new group of people um, wrote the Condon report, and it was uh, it was that was released in '68. Wow! And what did it say? Condon report once again. It was more about the conclusion than the data. So. It concluded that science could gain nothing from studying UFOs, yet the report ended up with a near 30% unexplained rate and a core of cases that came within a hair's breadth of being conclusive evidence for the reality of alien technology. So, our, and again, our media read the conclusion. And not the data. And not the data. Nobody and it was and it was from that report that Project Blue Book was closed. 
Now, Project Blue Book wasn't doing much to so begin with. Where are you in your years? So this is sixty nine. I'm I am I am sixty nine set to seventy one. I am I am finishing up this book. Okay. So the projects that you wanted to talk about, you wanted to talk about paperclip. So basically, what I'm I'm trying to share with all of this, what we just talked about, mm -hmm. is that our government actively tried to cover up UFOs. There were in this book, if you if you read the the first book, there is nothing but a list of military encounters with UFOs that you can go back and read about. Mm -hmm. He puts it in the back of the book in his index. A list of military encounters. So actual evidence, our military was way more interested in UFOs than we um, Well and that cause see I think that too is a thing is that the military is not going to communicate with the public. But that is the job of Congress. And so you can't blame the military for being secretive about this stuff, especially if they're reverse engineering. Um, but you can blame your elected officials because even if they can't tell you what they're doing, they can at least come out and say, yes, this is a thing. We're researching it at the highest levels of secrecy. We're not going to give you all the secrets. But sure, it's a thing. Why can't they do that? Well, you know, Harry Reid, Senator Harry Reid, tried to investigate. I, I know. I know. He tried. I know. And, and some of them did try. But that's what I don't understand. And, and for years, I've heard the, the counter story that Roswell, you know, nothing really happened there. But they're more than happy to let people believe that there are aliens and crap there because they're so busy chasing that little sparkly ball everywhere that they're not looking at the actual, you know, project development that's going on like the actual technology that's being developed because they're chasing little green men. And so it's a useful kind of ruse for the public. And so that's why you get all this conflicting information from the military because it's useful to have people confused and chasing their tails. Um, and, and I see that too. I mean, I, obviously I get that logic, but we're past that now. You know, just like we all voluntarily carry a device that the government can spy on us with, it also lets us take pictures of stuff that's up in the sky. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to keep this a secret anymore. But at this point, you know, we're so far beyond acknowledgement. Because all they've done is it's like the 14-year-old. <laughs> it's like my sister <laughs> when it comes to Santa Claus. You know, she's got this little saying she loves to say around Christmas time. Those who believe receive. And so all the kids will come up and say, oh, yeah, Santa Claus. I mean, they're just telling, the government has effectively told us that Santa Claus isn't real. We know that. <laughs> we know aliens are out there, or at least their vessels are. We know that. But what else, you know? So the projects I was talking about with you, um, not, so Project Paperclip, Project MKUltra. Um, oh, I was, yeah. Yeah, all, all of that. So... During this time period that I just meandered through, um, government was covering up stuff, right? Okay? The argument is, how can the government cover up so, something so big? Okay? I already discussed the Manhattan Project, okay? That was the creation of the atomic bomb. Huge event that got completely covered up was the creation of black money and black but projects. But even at that, where did that technology come from? A German scientist. 
Wasn't that Bruner? I'm looking. I'm looking across. Um, um, Von over Brun? there. Yeah, Von wasn't Brun? that him? Well, well, what was Von Brun? Where, where, where did he end up? He ended up here, right? Mm -hmm. he Project Paperclip. Paperclip. Yeah. He also designed and developed the first iteration of the space station. So, okay, let's let's back up. All right, we're talking <laughs> about secret stuff that our government can cover up, right? Right. Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. All right. That so, was a big one. Yep. But Project Paperclip. What I'm doing is following, like you said, follow the people. Von Brun was there for the Manhattan Project. He was there for the space station. Um, Project Paperclip. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is one that's really scary in my opinion. So basically our government, the United States Summer government. Summer only just learned about this. This is one I've known about for a long time. So World War II ends... We now are in a race for the bigger, better weapons because we still have an enemy to fight even though the war, the war is over. Um, how do we do this? So the big celebrities that we need now are scientists. Where are the best, uh, where are the best scientists? Uh, Hitler had them. They're Nazis. These were people who were doing mutilating experiments on human beings. These were people who were... Oh, you need somebody to test a, new, a, a chemical weapon on? We got people. We got people. We got the Jews. Let's bring them over. I got a hundred of them sitting right here. How many you want? It's kind of like the argument today when it comes to China. Different cultures, different people, they have a different set of morals. And over in China right now, you've got, and this is not conspiracy theory. This is not made up. This is true. You've got um, scientists who are making all kinds of hybrids between humans and pigs and monkeys and dogs. And, and they're just trying to see what they can do. The official story is for organ transplantation. Yeah. Is, um, you know, if you can put a human heart inside of a pig, then it's much better to slaughter that pig and, and take the heart. And they're doing it to the, is it a group of the Uy Chinese? The Uyghurs. Yeah. Now, are they, are they, um... Are they Muslim believing? Is that yes. the yes. the reason that they're considered yes. and so, not you know of human class? Exactly. Not yet. Not of a certain value. Exactly. And so, the same thing was going on in Nazi Germany. Is you had people who did not have a moral standard that the rest of the world has, and so they felt free to experiment on anybody in any way they wanted to because if you were not of the Aryan race then you were meant to serve everyone else in whatever capacity was necessary and so a lot of major scientific development happened through the Nazis because they didn't have the ethical standards exactly that we have so when the Nuremberg trials started and what are, think, the I, Nuremberg, what are the I, Nuremberg there. trials? I've been quiet so, through this whole thing because you've been telling me everything. So now I'm like, oh, we're on something I know. So after World War II, it was decided that um, these people who had done these horrible war crimes, they had to be tried and adjudicated in some kind of a world court. So the Nuremberg trials was that world court. That was that forum. And so all of these people went up on trial. And America decided... That some of these people, though they were horrific in what they did, they were more valuable to us alive and working for us than they were firing squad or hanged. Over a thousand scientists yeah. were brought into were, the United States and then their papers were cleaned. They became American citizens. Yeah, they basically got to go into the witness relocation program more or less. Now, some of the stories are that they were pumped for all the information they had and then executed or, you know, you know, let go. I don't know in what capacity, but... Um, 
we we excelled in technology tremendously after this. And so, you know, again, this isn't something the government wanted everyone to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what we did. And, I mean, the A in sarin gas, the man who, who sta- the, his, his name is the A in sarin gas, he was Hitler's, considered one of Hitler's, like, right-hand scientists. Mm-hmm. He came to the United States, clean papers. He was living here. I think his family came with him mm-hmm. during this time period. Um, and that was Project Paperclip. Yeah. That was, that was, um, yeah, that one blows my mind. And that gave us our rocket, yeah, Portal again, he's, he's reminding us, that gave us the V2 rockets, the ones that yeah. ultimately ended up taking us to the moon. Yep. Yeah. And that's, see, that was another thing. Hitler, I think one of the reasons after World War II, our rush to get there, Hitler wanted to get people on the moon. He wanted to set up a moon base. And, um, I don't know. On the dark side of the moon. Yes. And I don't know why after we got there, we never we really went back. That. You know, there are all kinds of conspiracy theories about well, that. Well, I mean, if you believe the movie Apollo 18, it was because the little rocket creatures attacked us. And right. And so we had to, yeah. I had to let that go. Couldn't, mm. couldn't do that anymore. Um, but so, okay, yeah. so Project Paper, Paperclip. Okay, Project Sam, Shamrock. Yeah. We just talked about, we talked about that earlier. And basically Shamrock basically, was the government intercepting all the telegraphs that were sent to and from. Opening mail. Yeah. Private corp- private people, private businesses, breaking into whatever. houses. Nowadays, you have to have a warrant for that. No, and you don't. Ask Edward Snowden. Well, there's that, right? Um, so that was one of the big um, secret things that was happening at that time period. MK Ultra, guys. Oh my goodness, MK Ultra is a whole as a whole nother episode of a podcast all by itself. But we're talking about experiments into trying to control people's minds. We're talking about experiments into trying to create zombies. We're talking about experiments trying to um, basically MK Ultra makes me sad. MK Ultra is um, something else. During that phase, it was it was just kind of a known that if you worked for the CIA, you, you were getting dosed with LSD in your morning coffee. You would never know if somebody was going to dose you that day. And everybody was subject to it. And they did all kinds of experiments um, with different drugs with people who were volunteers and people who had no idea that they were going to get dosed that day. Um, it is believed that Ted Kaczynski was a volunteer research subject for MKUltra. Which is very sad. Were you aware of, th- of that one? Mm-mm. Um, he, when he was at Harvard, he had a psychology teacher that he really, really liked. And he really liked this guy. And the teacher asked this class if they all wanted to volunteer for a project. And a bunch of people stayed after. And they gave him this battery of tests. And when they were done, they got down to like two or three students that, that passed the test that they could be involved. And basically, they went down into a basement twice a week where they were told the most horrible things about themselves. You know, you're, you're never going to succeed at anything. Your mother doesn't love you. You know, all kinds of crap just for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, um, by the time he, he, he was part of this for two or three years, I believe. And it very likely, I mean, he was kind of weird beforehand, but very likely contributed to him being a complete loner and believing that his mother hated him. And, um, that's, a that's well documented. They, the, the research, the project that he was involved in happened. That's well documented. Whether or not it was connected to MKUltra, the paperwork is sketchy on that. But um, he believes it was an MKUltra project. 
And so one of the things to note is, okay, so we were talking about different cultures and different beliefs, both different ethical things and what you should be able to do to another person. Um, the United States, okay, this was our project, okay? MKUltra was our project. But guess where we housed most of it? Canada. Canada. We knew. We, we were drugging people in Canada. Yeah, we knew we didn't want this on American soil. Mm -hmm. So our government was so implicit in such a horrible thing and i it's one of those it's it's for me for me it's one of those things that i don't care if this happened in the 40s it's 2021 you can't trust your government no no don't trust the government no they had people that that they would keep them in bed and give them lsd some of them i think the longest run was over 140 days yep um, they had completely, a guy, completely scrambled a woman's brain. Yeah, and, and, and while they were under the influence, they would play records of the same sound over and over again, um, deprive them of light, and it was, it was just a mess. And the whole purpose was to try to figure out how to completely deprogram a human brain and then reprogram it to become whatever you wanted. And what was happening was uh, some of our um, POWs were coming back from, I want to say this was... They were coming back from Vietnam being completely deprogrammed. Mm -hmm. They were deprogrammed. They were actually, our, some of our POWs were coming back um, with basically repeating propaganda mm -hmm. um, and, and anti-USA, anti-government propaganda. And, um, and so it was, uh, it was before Vietnam though. Because, I mean, MK Ultra did go for a long time, though. That's something. It didn't get reported until the 70s that it got declassified. But um, that was one of the things that MK Ultra was trying to look into, was how do they make that happen? Mm -hmm. And how do we... How do we do it back? Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, the Manchurian Candidate idea right. was MK Ultra. So the idea that you could make... You, you could design a presidential candidate to do what you want them to do and have the people vote them into office. But then also, um, I could put a, I could, the idea of hypnosis of I could, you know, I could say the word cookie and then you're going to go kill right. Kevin and have no. Right. And have no recollection what, of it or why what I did you're it. even doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the post-hypnotic suggestion. Exactly. Yeah. All that was on Ultra. And that then we're talking about bio, biological tests on people. Y'all, our government literally painted city streets with biological contaminants to test. They flew over San Francisco and um, sprayed the city with biological contaminants in the 50s just to see what would happen. That was our government secret secret projects, and of course, everybody knows about Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah, most people do. But yeah, well, that's and and you know we always talk about being social workers. <laughs> we we see the lasting impact of tu of the Tuskegee experiments mm -hmm. all day, every day in our job because that was an isolated. Um, well, now the Airmen is different. The Tuskegee. Um, what I'm thinking about is the syphilis experiments. Mm, syphilis experiments. Yeah. Um, is it you had a, a group in, in Mississippi of just rural black community and syphilis was rampant in this community. And um, basically what the government was trying to do was see what the life cycle of syphilis looks like. And so they would tell these people to come to the clinic for an exam 
if you have these symptoms and we'll give you medicine to treat it to treat it and we'll help you get better but year over year they never actually gave these people medicine they gave them shots of just saline water and watched as the whole thing ran the life cycle and the part about it that was particularly cruel is that you really only need to see syphilis run its life cycle once to know what you're dealing with but this went on with hundreds and hundreds of people for years and years and years we're talking 40 years and so there's just no ethical justification for it at all and um so today you know summer and i are social workers we go into rural communities and we're trying to get people to understand their medical care and what they need to do and you know why this is good for you and and they simply do not trust doctors and what they're having to say they don't trust them and I mean that's a lasting and, issue, and that's playing out right now with COVID, with mm-hmm. COVID vaccinations. Yeah. Large numbers of African Americans and Hispanics are not wanting the vaccine. Why? Because our government has treated them so badly for yeah. so long. So um, this is my book starts, and and because we're gonna the next time we record, we'll be talking about mine. But mine goes into a lot about it. Starts with the idea of the one world government, which was real big in the eighties. Um, how this was pushed on, you know, to society that we're going to have to move towards this one world government. Um, And it incorporates a lot of these ideas that aliens, when you have a country divided, your unifying factor is an outside threat. When you have a planet on the verge of another world war, your unifying factor is going to be an alien threat and so we kind of postulate between us you know this this disclosure not really disclosure of 2020 could be the beginning of you know when when stuff gets bad enough or tense enough it's going to be okay yeah aliens are real look you know well hey Um, i feel like the disclosure happened in 2020 for a reason right the disclosure that ufos exist by our pentagon i mean hey that 2020 was a reason, I think. Yeah, because so. the the TikTok the the videos that were that the government finally said, yeah, okay, so this is real. Those were actually outed years ago. They had right. actually been around for years. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think my book talks about the guy who let him go, or maybe it was another movie. I, I've been all up to my eyeballs and aliens. It's running together. <laughs> So, yeah, guys, I hope I did a good enough job with this book for you. Like I said, it's um, UFO and the National Security State. I cover chrono- chronology or say Chronologically. The Thank you. Of a cover-up from 1941 to 73. And what I wanted to do was basically show you that our military has been interested and has been trying to keep it quiet. So what the public face is and what pri- what's happening behind closed doors are two completely different things. But then also just briefly talk about projects during this time period that um, were clouded in secrecy, took lots of money. Nobody knew, um, nobody knew what was happening to this money or that this money was even being taken and used anywhere. Congress knew nothing. Um, and if they can do those projects during this time period, you know, if, if the land of the free home of the brave can do this to our, to its own citizens why can't it cover up ufos what that doesn't make any sense of course it can i just think that all human beings kind of well most human beings just have this 
inside like of us knowledge that that there's something bigger than us out there whether you want to call it god whether you want to call it aliens whatever you want to call it we're always going to seek outside of ourselves. we're always going to seek outside of our environment for something else yeah i feel like you have to be willfully ignorant to be like okay you know what there's nothing other than us mm-hmm. yeah you have to you have to fight for that a little bit i think yeah you do yeah. and i mean we haven't found it we haven't seen it i get that maybe it's not a physical thing maybe it's a what do you call it? Like interdimensional? That would be what I was going to say. Very possible. Very possible. So next week, Aaron's going to cover the next... Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. I'm not going to be ready next week. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I almost wasn't ready tonight. Um, in two weeks, she's going to cover her book, the next chapter of showing um, the cover-up of UFOs by our government. 73 to 91. 73 to 91. He stops at 91, but there is a third book. And now Richard M. Dolan is the author, so if anybody wants to get a copy of these books. And what's cool is I, um, because this is so hard for me to read, doing it chronologically is awful. I wish he would do a chapter on abductions and a chapter on government hideout, you know, programs. And But no, it's, it's year by year. Um, so I just started looking on Discovery Plus. I downloaded Discovery Plus. Just looking for him. And I've been finding a bunch of stuff with him he talking. His, he has his own show on YouTube. Um, I think it's called The Richard Dolan Show. It's just kind of easier to listen to him explain it than yeah, to try to read it. Um, he's an extremely smart man. And I'm he he's a voice I have actually learned that I trust. Mm-hmm. I told Kevin, I was like, something may change my mind. He may right. talk about something, you know, that make me get, make me distrust him. But as of right now, he is one person that if he was to tell me that, you know, um, I don't know. Your mama's an alien. I'm gonna be like, really? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You, you know what? You might be right. My mama <laughs> might be an alien. I think your mama might be an alien. I think she is too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I ain't got a problem with her though. No. No. I mean, any woman that can cook like that's gonna say she makes a heck of a peach gobbler. We'll mm-hmm. run with that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we are done, guys. If um in two weeks. If you, you can email us at mama night owl podcast at gmail.com or mad world Thursday podcast at gmail.com. If you have any comments, anything we talked about, any questions. Um, also, next week when we go live, we will have the links in StreamYard. And of course, you can interact with us on YouTube. Oops. But Tech Guy Jeff is telling us to remind the world that these, uh, these Richard Dolan books are um, available on Amazon. And this is something I learned that I think is alien technology. When you order these books, they're printed as you order them. They're not sitting on a shelf somewhere. They actually print them. Like, I'm not kidding. She's just discovered print on demand. Look, (laughs) I just discovered it. Check it out. Printed December 20th. And that's the day I ordered it. Crazy. She loves that. She really thinks that's fun. Aliens. I don't know what no. that's aliens. Can you do it? <laughs> Hold on. I used hey, to can do it way better than I me. used to could do this really well, but my hair's a lot longer now. <laughs> I gotta move for this. But I used to could do it really well. I had really crazy hair. Let's see, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Aliens. 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 Okay, and we're done, guys. We're out. Bye. On that note, we are done. 
Oh my gosh. I don't know how to turn this off. Tech guy. <laughs>